Hi everyone and welcome to the September edition of the distillerytours.scot podcast, giving you that wee bit of extra insight from Scotland's whisky distilleries. My name's Nikki Simpson and in this episode I spoke to Peter Holroyd, distillery manager at the King's Barnes Distillery in Fife. Peter gives us a deep dive into the production of their award-winning Dream to Dram, from the mixture of yeast that they use to their long distillation, from their cut points to how their mixture of casks gives such a fruity but rich flavour, and there's a surprise in his comparison to a sweet shop favourite too. This episode was recorded in July 2020, when the world had been social distancing for around four months to stop the spread of COVID-19. Peter mentions their plans to reopen, we're delighted to say that since this recording, the King's Bars Distillery has reopened to visitors and is running daily tours at 10.30, 1 and 3.30. If you'd like to find out more about the distillery, its tours and its whisky, check out distillerytours.scot and click on the Book Now button on the King's Barns listing. We hope you enjoy it. So today I'm here with Peter Holroyd, Distillery Manager at the King's Barns Distillery. Hi Peter. Hi Nikki, how are you today? I'm good, I'm good, thanks. So you've worked at King's Barns for six years now, is that right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So I joined um, as the stills were, were getting installed, really. Great, and was that your first introduction to the drinks industry, or how did you come to work there? No, so um, I actually uh, I started off really getting into uh, into brewing and distilling. I, was, I did the Heriot Watt Brewing and Distilling course, for four years uh, over in Edinburgh. Well, when I when I was a wee boy, I loved food and drink anyway. I wanted to be a chef when I was a uh, when I was young, and then on leaving school, started an engineering apprenticeship. Did a couple of years of an engineering apprenticeship, and then found out that there was a university course where you learn how to make beer and whiskey. And I thought, well, that sounds fantastic. So I joined up, and and it was a great course. Yeah, you get practical aspects there as well. So they've actually got a a little brewery on site and a little still on site as well so cool and um, you get to actually make some beer and some some spirit so i did the course and then i got into a brewery so i really cut my teeth on on brewing i was the head brewer for a small brewery outside of glasgow for four years and then a slight change attacked into into the distilling industry the whiskey industry after that uh, with king's barns actually being my first foray into into scotch malt whiskey do you think you'll ever go back Back to beer. Um, <laughs> I no, I don't. I don't think so now. Um, um, yeah, I, I find find whiskey fascinating. I've always found it fascinating. So no, I'm I'm quite comfortable in the whiskey industry. I think that's interesting that you did an engineering apprenticeship. Has that done you well? Do you think in distilling? It certainly helps you problem solving aspect when things break. I suppose. Um, it's quite practical. But by and large, it was using milling machines and lathes and fitting. So it was, as I say, a lot of problem solving. Um, but there's, as you'll know yourself, there's so much to to making whiskey over and above that. That's it's not it's not just the making of the liquid or you know making things work. It's everything else that's involved. Yeah, definitely. So tell us about the King's Barnes Distillery then. What's it like working for a family-owned distillery? Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a beautiful place to work. We're we're out here in the east of Fife, so. Independently owned, family-run distillery, uh, owned and operated by the Weems family. So they actually have ancient ancestral roots linked to this very area, dating back, I think, about six hundred years or so. Um, Weems Castle is just down the just down the coast from from us, just a few miles down the coast. 
I suppose the the family themselves, primarily they're, they're a business family over their generations with a wide range of, of interests, everything from, well, avocado farming to a renewables business to properties. And on the drink side, uh, a gin brand and a premium wine vineyard uh, called Rimeresque in the south of France. So uh, the family had some, some knowledge and experience on the drink side, but crucially in terms of whiskey, they had some, some knowledge of the whiskey industry because William Weems in 2005 set up Weems Malts, so an independent whiskey bottler and blender, you know, blending malt whiskey from distilleries all, all across Scotland and releasing single malt, well, single cask bottlings, you know, if the liquid was up to the mark. So they had a good bit of kind of experience in, in whiskey before getting involved in starting a distillery uh, over here in Fife. Does, I mean, does that still go on now? Does it, is the bottling and blending uh, part of the business still exist? Yeah, very much so. So, so the, bo- the bottling and the blending part of the business is Weems Malts, where they've got a range of core malts, really trying to make it quite, quite kind of simple with Spice King, Peat Chimney, The Hive, naming malts after their, their primary tastes and flavours. And as I say, uh, also bottling single cask editions from individual distilleries as well. So no, that's, that's very much still part of the, still part of the business. What fun to have um, the two, you know, marrying. On is it on the same site or? No, it's it's not on the same site. But businesses help each other out. You know, we'll uh, we'll sometimes take casks for Weems malts here, uh, and then ship them off to other distilleries. You know, where the where the fillings are going to take place. But from from our point of view, it's been great as well because we've been able to for the last six years release or or sell Weems malts whiskies in our shop. Obviously, we've not had any. Uh, we've not had any whiskey to sell, you know, until we were three years old. So it's been great to be able to, to tap into that. And the fact that they've got a, a footing in the market already. We've got distributors in, in Germany, uh, America, all across the world. So you've you've already got link, links there into, into markets that you can sell yeah. when, when our whiskey was ready. So tell me about your, your average day then. What does that look like? Um, it's a bit of a cliche, but I suppose every day is different. The average day, I would probably, well, I would start up the boiler. You'd be checking the levels of water in tanks. You'd be taking an, an account of spirit uh, and charging the stills and getting everything going, really. And, of course, we've got our mash man, uh, stillman, Gareth, uh, as well, would be keeping an eye on everything as well. Health and safety also falls within my remit and kind of ensuring that we're all in line with the regulatory authorities for... HMRC and making the tax man gets his, making sure the tax man gets his, his cut and SEPA uh, as well. So you've got to be environmentally conscious. At the moment, my days are spent largely updating risk assessments. Oh dear. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, some of the good parts of the job, doing tasting notes, you know, preparing for, for tastings or virtual tours, events. So it's really quite a, really, really quite a wide ranging role. Uh, but by and large, I'm focusing on making new make spirit, ensuring that we've got you know stock of raw materials, the malt, the yeast, and uh, and keeping the ball rolling uh, from well from malt intake to spirit going into casks. What drives you personally? What do you what do you love about the distillery and and distilling in general? Well, I think I've got the the best job in the world. It's um, you're working for an independent an independent whiskey distillery, which is great. You know the folk that are behind it uh, are incredibly passionate about what, what they do, whether that be in 
making the liquid or selecting the casks. Um, you know, the family is very much involved in cask selection as well. And the rest of the team that go around the country, go around the world, building the brand and introducing people to our whiskies. At the end of the day, I think we're, we're making something that people enjoy. And that's the thing that, you know, I, I find quite, I think the fact that we're making something that people enjoy is what drives me. You're, uh, you're, you're making something that, you know, you're giving people experiences in, in, in whiskey drinking. And the fact that you're you're doing it from from malt intake to to filling of casks, you're involved in every aspect of the process. I suppose some of the bigger distilleries, you might just be at the stills, you might just be at the mash, but you know, with us here, we're quite a small distillery. We're only filling thirty four casks a week. There's only three or four of us involved in in making the liquid itself, and you get to meet the visitors. You know, people come in, they'll they'll do a tour, and it's great to see the look on people's faces when they. When they, when they see what goes on in here and, and then when they get to taste the dram at the end of it as well. Yeah, it's quite um, quite visceral, isn't it? It's quite it kind is. of, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even when you walk in in the morning, that's the thing about it. You, all the smells, the smell of malt when you walk into the, the start of the distillery, it's all in the one room, so all the way through to uh, at the spirit safe at the, at the back. If you're, if you're standing there when the wash still comes on, you can smell these pear drops coming in. So no, it is it, visceral is the right word for it. Yeah, it's it's about a sensory experience. I think whiskey and drinking in general. I think I used to work in a bar many moons ago, and um, I used to just love pouring a pint. I know that sounds very oh, basic, yeah. <laughs> but the um, but the way that especially lager, the way that the lager would kind of curl around the glass as it came into the glass, it's yeah. just very beautiful. You know, I think once you kind of once you're really involved with that process and that's you just live and breathe it all day every day yeah you start yeah. to really notice all the the beauty of it don't you mm-hmm. i mean it's a simple process yeah that's that's it you you don't have any many ingredients you've got malted barley yeast water and then thyme in oak but that, that's exactly it i mean there's it's it's quite a simple thing but there's so many different ways you can do it and that's where i, I find it quite interesting how every distillery has a has a unique character it's just the way that you put these in ingredients together that you know gives a, a different end product. And what about the whiskey? What sets it apart from others? Do you think? What we do here at Kingsbarns is we're we're trying to make I suppose what you would call a traditional lowland style of malt, so very light, fruity, and floral. And every aspect of the production process is geared towards achieving that. Right from raw materials, we're using fife grown barley, so we wanted to give the spirit a sense of place or um, terroir is the word the French would use, I suppose. So we use fife grown barley and we use mineral rich water drawn from an aqu- aquifer directly beneath the distillery. And then we're going to mature the whiskey and fife as well. Uh, but how do we get that kind of light, elegant, fruity style into the whiskey? Well, we, as I say, every single stage of the process is geared towards getting that. So we, get, we try and achieve quite a bright, clear colour of wort. And the reason why we do that, the best way I can describe it is um, you're producing yeast food there and you are what you eat. So if you give the yeast a very kind of clear, bright colour of sugary liquids coming off the mash tun, it's going to metabolise all those sugars and produce kind of estuary, quite sweet, fruity uh, character of, of whiskey at the end. We're going to have quite long fermentations as well, so over three to five days and what we use there, we use two strains of yeast and not very many distilleries are using two strains in, in a fermentation. Uh, but uh-huh. each each strain of yeast gives a different a different kind of character to the to the wash, to the fermentation. We're using anchor yeast, which has been used for decades. Um 
because it's well sufficient in what it does, but it also gives a nice rounded flavour profile. The other yeast we use um, is Fermentus, and it's the one that gives us uh, all these kind of top fruity notes. It's much more of a uh, an ester producer. I think it's the one that gives us our slight kind of berryish note in our whisky. Um, so the blend of these two yeasts means that we've got balance and complexity in our wash before we even get to talking about distillation or maturation. Um, you know, you need to make sure that you've got all the flavour in the washback because um, the stills are only going to condense what's in the fermentation. You need to make sure that you've got the quality in at that stage. That's what I kind of learned from, from brewing um, is that, yeah, you need to make sure the quality's at that stage. Yeah. And then long ferment, uh, long distillation. So we take our time with the the distillation, try and get as much copper contact as we can, you know, that reflux. Um, and that helps to encourage getting that that, that light kind of fruity sort of side of the, the spirit character coming through there. What is considered a long distillation? How long do you how long do you distill for? Uh, so our wash still runs for eight hours and the spirit still um, runs for about seven. And we have quite a high cut point in the spirit as well. So um, we're only trying to take the, the lightest uh, segment of the run and leave behind any of the more kind of weighty, uh, fainty, that sort of leathery character we try and leave that behind and when we're when we're running on spirit it's 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 dribbling through the spirit safe and so we're running it really really um, as slowly as we can that's interesting we we run eight minutes of obviously for for those for those of you i know we've probably got some some listeners that are are deep into their whiskey but for those that that maybe are just starting their journey it's you've got three cuts to a spirit run when you've got your spirit still running um, you've got your head, your hearts, and the tails. So the head is um, is what comes off first from the spirit still. The lightest congeners, the lightest molecular weight compounds, and um, that's what's going to boil off first. You know, the premise of distillation being that um, alcohol's got a lower boiling point than water. So the first running's coming off the, the spirit still is probably coming out at about 75%. It's actually too aggressive too aggressive to to fill into casks it's even got a little bit of methanol in it which is not good so you we recycle that we we put it into our faints tank and then when once it's been running for eight minutes that's when we start to take the heart of the run uh, or the spirit cup that runs for about three and a half hours and that's got the kind of the best part of the run the heart of the run and that's where you've got all the all the spirit character that you want to you want to to capture and, and bring on to to maturation in a cask and we're going to run that until it gets down to 69% alcohol Uh, and then when it hits that strength that's when we 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 turn the lever back on the spirit safe to to collect the faints Um, and again that's that's alcohol that you can use you don't want to waste it Um, but it's just not the right character for us you know where where a distillery takes its its spirit cut is is going to dictate the the character of that distillery you know the the dna of what the whiskey is going to be like so that's a it's a very important stage. That's really interesting. Thanks, Peter. I I don't know enough about this, so it's really interesting to hear um to hear more about it. So whenever whenever I go to to other distilleries, I always if I can, I always try and uh, see if I can taste their new make spirit because it's um you know there's no hiding behind any oak. It's just pure distillery character, and it's fascinating to see how every distillery's got its own its own t- its own take on it. Have you ever tried a, a whiskey or a new make spirit that you thought, yuck, 
I've I've tried one or two that yeah I I would sit down and drink, but I suppose it's a the thing about new make spirit is it's a it's it's a work in progress. It's not the finished article. Some of them are you know if they if they're going to go a lot more into the faints cut, you'll get sort of a, that more cereal note which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. Or some might run the stills a wee bit faster and carry over a, li- a little bit more of some of the some of the more kind of weighty sort of character uh, into their spirit, which again is 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 not is not bad at all. It's it's each to their own. That's that's the fascinating thing about it. That's why there's there's so much variety of Scotch whisky, I think. You've so much complexity in the in in whisky itself and um, because each distillery does its own thing. Thank you. Dream to Dram just won some awards recently. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about Dream to Dram specifically? Uh, maybe give us the tasting notes for it, whoever, for anyone who hasn't tasted it before. Yeah, yeah. so um, Dream to Dram uh, won uh, Lowland Malt Whiskey in the World uh, World Whiskey Awards recently. So Amazing, uh, well done. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, uh, we're all very, very proud of it. Yeah, it's uh, what we're what we're trying to make and what we've what we've achieved in Dream to Dram is a balance between spirit, character, uh, what we've kind of been talking about, uh, a balance between that and and oak and wood. Um, it's about trying to make sure that one doesn't over dominate the other. And as I say, the family's been very much involved in cask selection there as well. Uh, so what goes into Dream to Dram is ninety percent first fill bourbon casks. So they've been used for bourbon once in the states and then. Uh, sent over here in a shipping container and then we offload them. The other 10% that goes into Dream to Dram is uh, shaved, toasted, recharred Portuguese ex-wine bariques. That's quite a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's the whiskey that comes out of those is, uh, is something else. It's a lot more dark. It's a lot more rich. Going back to the bourbons, I think bourbon casks just work really well for us you know it rounds off that spirit character beautifully it's where you get all the kind of vanilla it's where you get all the color and whiskies from from the woods but uh, bourbon casks work really well it gives us if you tried some of our single cask uh, ex-bourbon casks they're very very fruity and um, you get this kind of sweet shop note running through it you still get the, the the kind of light orchard fruit notes that you you you'll pick up in our new make spirit these Shave toasted recharge casks, the ten percent proportion that goes in, that's more like the glue that holds the whole dram together. So it's it's a lot more rich, it's a lot darker. What they do there is they, they take red wine barriques, two hundred and twenty five litres barrels basically or casks, they partially disassemble them and then they shave the insides once they've been used for wine, um, and then toast them and rechar them. And that gives like a new active layer of, of carbon in the on the inside of the oak. And it's almost like using, you know, new oak there because these casks have only ever seen 13% red wine before. Uh, then they've been toasted and recharred. So there's a lot of alcoholic extractive uh, compounds to be drawn out into the whiskey. I think that's probably why it gets so much of its colour. It's, uh, yeah, it's wild, wild stuff. <laughs> yeah, that seems so specific. I mean, I've, 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 you know, obviously I've heard of bourbon cast and sherry cast and so on, but shaved, toasted, recharred red wine barriques. That yeah. sounds, um, uh, how did, how did that come about? How did you, how do you source something like that? How do you come up with an idea? I know, let's <laughs> shave them and toast them again. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was actually, um, 
through a distillery consultant, uh, Jim Swan. You might have you might have heard oh, of Jim. Oh yeah, I have heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the he's like a whiskey guru. Um, he's been involved in so many distilleries uh, throughout the world. Um, you know, a, a career spanning I think four decades, but a hell of a lot of knowledge and experience. And and he helped us out in the very early days get going and kind of establish the distillery style and the distillery character. And it, it was him actually that said, um, "Try using um, just a small proportion in your in your blend, uh, in your in your malt whiskey. Don't use a lot of them because that's gonna that's gonna overpower that elegant fruity character that you get in the new make. You know, you work so hard to try and achieve something elegant to start off with that you don't want it to be bludgeoned to death by by oak. So um, don't use too much of it, but." Um, yeah, ten percent just seems to work really well. And the tasting notes that you get, you know, once you blend that with with bourbon casks, you get something that, as I say, has got quite a, quite a sweet orchard fruit nose. So it's you, you get a little bit of those kind of pears, maybe a wee bit of apricot, tropical fruit as well. And then in the taste, it's sweet up front, and then morphs into something more uh, exotic fruit. Um, so maybe a little bit of mango. I think the tasting note that I get off it is is like, you know, foam bananas? You know those sweets you used to get? Oh, God, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, like, uh, that's that's what I really pick up off it. Um, I need, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why, but it just seems to be it. Um, yeah. is, that on, is that on the side of your bottle, or is that just your own <laughs> personal? <laughs> that, no, that's just, just, just my, own, my own take on it. Um, I think the marketing team thought that was probably too British, and then, um, you know... <laughs> Um, people over in Taiwan wouldn't maybe know what that was. So, <laughs> apologies to anyone lis- listening in Taiwan. Yeah, just, no. <laughs> just drop us the... an email and we'll send you some foam bananas. Yeah, missing out the foam bananas. <laughs> Aye, that's it. So, uh, you know, a few distilleries are starting to reopen now. You mentioned that you're are you you're opening your cafe and shop. Is that right? Yeah. So, so we opened our cafe and shop last week. Um, we're taking it quite slow to start off with. To be honest, we're we're wanting to we're wanting to open safely first and foremost, but we did open a, the the shop and cafe. It's uh, reasonable numbers of, of folk coming in as well. I think people have been dying to get out of the house now. Yeah. Um. So we've yeah, it's all takeaway uh, from the cafe. As I say, we've been putting in place plans, mitigation measures to make sure that when we do finally open to tours, we can do that safely as well. So we've we've got screens up and all the service points, one way systems, PPE for the team. Um, and all the other obvious stuff, you know, social distancing, added cleaning regimes, uh, limiting the number of people in each area. But it's great to get a little bit of life back in the distillery. Uh, oh, definitely. I yeah. agree. I think um, this and something about shopping as well. I, I'm not a big fan of shopping. Um, it, you know, take me yeah. to Asda and that's my idea of hell. But, <laughs> um, but the pure joy of just purchasing an ice cream from somebody else rather than like making it in your own house out of a tub is just lovely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, we, we've had folk in saying, uh, this is the first coffee that somebody's made for me in the last four yeah. or five months. And you're like, yeah. great. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we, we could have been the first to, to give them a coffee. So, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, buildings are—they're—they're they're made to be, yeah. Especially distilleries, they're made to be uh, for people to come in and see and see them. I think. I agree. I think, um, especially old buildings as well. You know, you feel like they should be for people to use. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're in an old two hundred two hundred year old old farmsteading. Yeah, so it's it's great great to see some folk coming through again. 
What advice would you give to someone who would like to know more about whiskey? Well, I would I would say go go to whiskey tastings and visit distilleries. Uh, I realise that's that's difficult in this climate at the moment, um, but things are opening up slowly. For the time being, you know, there's great so many sources of information. There's so many books out there on whiskey as well. So many great great authors. Um, there's even you know YouTube channels, Aquavite or Ralphie, and um, so many folk doing it now. And um, there's a wealth of information. Um, I still try and go to whiskey tastings whenever I can, whenever I get the I get the chance. Uh, you're always going to learn something on them. You know, when I was when I lived back in Glasgow, I used to go to the the Good Spirits Company quite often. Very knowledgeable people. That was that was where I used to go uh, for mine. But there's uh, yeah, when once distilleries start start opening again, get out to the distilleries and see see some distilleries and have some experiences there as well. Well, hopefully there'll be a lot of. Um... It'll be a big increase in domestic tourism, I think, because, you know, people are going to be worried about flying yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think there'll be a lot of people who are interested to, to um, do something, you know, maybe that they haven't tried before or or visit a distillery that they haven't seen before. So Yeah, big time. I go to a distillery, buy a bottle of whiskey and then take it camping with you. You know, it's all about experiences. It's it's like the best meals in your life. You're going you're gonna to remember them because of uh, the folk you're with. And the whole situation, not just because of it's a it's a nice tasting meal. It's the same with whiskey. It's uh, it's where you where you drink them. If you go to a distillery and you're going to have a dram in a warehouse, uh, that's pretty special. But similarly, if you're going to take it away, have a have a, a beach a beach campfire, uh, and have a have a bottle of whiskey with some good friends or or family. That's uh, that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? I agree. I'm sold. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. It was lovely to speak to you. Yeah, fantastic. You too. Thanks, Nikki. If you enjoyed hearing about the King's Barnes Distillery and would like to try a bottle of their Dream to Dram, we're delighted to say that their visitor centre, shop and tours are open to visitors. Please do book in advance. Distillerytours.scot has every whisky distillery visitor centre in one place. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, or sign up for our Distillery and Whiskey News monthly email to hear the podcast first at distillerytours.scot forward slash sign up. In our next episode in October, we'll be speaking to Rona Paisley, brand home manager at the Glen Kinchy Distillery in East Lothian. We look forward to seeing you then. <laughs>